The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager, only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Other horn is Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's the same place they play football. Everything with an attitude. Got a balance. I don't give a shit who we're playing. Don't let the make us play against And make us ask to play That's our framework. That's our MO with the team. Richardson breaks free on the sideline. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Tom, against Auburn, did we win or just survive? Man, we definitely just survived. You and I talked about this after we were leaving the stadium. That has to be the most frustrating I have been after a win in quite some time. I will tell you that there was a couple times uh, that we scored touchdowns in that third quarter that I felt like we were now getting in a shootout and we were playing their game. And I turned to y'all at one point about halfway through the third quarter and I said, we're going to lose this game. I truly felt we were because at that point they had, you know, we were kind of trying to do blow for blow. And that's just not our game. And I, and I think we really got out of our game plan. You know, we, we talked about the roadmap to how to win this game, and uh, I really don't think we followed it. We definitely didn't follow the roadmap that you and I prescribed. And, you know, to your point, walking out of the stadium was was as frustrating as I've ever been in a game that, number one, we beat Auburn, and number two, we scored 55 points. And for those those are two very positive uh, events and to think that we're walking out of the game, you know, a, a little bit frustrated. Certainly, you and I were calling for a heavy running attack, and you know, at one point, uh, I was counting very loudly the uh, the rushes that we had, and it, you know, whatever stage, I kind of stopped doing that. Going back and looking at the stats, we had 34 rushes, which was more than I remember us having in the game, but I would have loved to have seen you know, 40, 45, and I know you'd like to see 50 or north of north of 50. You know, I think that uh, I think that at some stage we definitely did enter into a shootout. 
And I think that has as much to do with, uh, and then I actually have an article that's going to post on Bama Hammer that uh, I elaborate on this a little bit more, but I think Lane Kiffin is auditioning for his next job. I don't think he's going anywhere immediately, but I think that uh, there's there's part of Lane Kiffin that says, what better way to demonstrate my offensive acumen than winning a shootout against Gus Malzahn and, uh, you know, sort of the offensive guru that uh, that he represents. And uh, I think that's a little bit of what we saw uh, Saturday. I like some of what Lane brings to the table, but I would have liked to have seen us rush the ball 45 times and give our defense a little more rest. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we said LSU rushed the ball 53 times against us, okay, and had us on our heels. We said that Georgia rushed 50 times against Auburn for 300 yards. Well, you know, you're right that we rushed for 34 had 34 rushing attempts, but we averaged 6.7 yards a rush. Right. And so, you know, we we actually averaged more yards per carry than even Georgia did against Auburn. And so I would have loved that 34 carries to have been 50 carries for 300 yards because that would have enabled us to have more time with the ball, to your point. We only had 61 offensive plays. Yes. And they ran 90 plays. Yes. And so, you know, just like last year, when they came back and pulled it out of their butt at the end of the game, you know, they would have a couple really big plays. And last year, we bent and we broke. This year, we bent and we didn't break. Right. But I got to tell you, man, Gus Malzahn is a good offensive coordinator. And, you know, they should have ran the ball with their quarterback more because their quarterback only carried the ball 13 times. But he ate us up a couple times, and I actually think that they should have get they should have given the ball more to their playmaker than they did. They ran their lead running back thirty carries, and he only right. averaged three yards a carry. So, 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 my biggest frustration to your point is, you know, keep them off the field and rest the defense. And so, at one point in that third quarter, you and I would turn to each other and say, "Great, awesome, we scored in two plays. Now our defense gets back on the field." Right, exactly. And so as exciting as some of those plays were and some of the dynamic nature, you know, heck, you know, we've probably all seen uh, the highlights, uh, the 75-yard touchdown that uh, Amari catches. Lane Kiffin is calling on the sideline. He raises his arms up. He calls touchdown before Sims throws the ball and before Amari Cooper makes his move. There's a double move. He's running He's running uh, uh, down the sidelines. And he and he just cuts and runs a post, and so he's running more of a a, a corner fade and or, or a corner route, and he and he shifts oh so subtly because there's so much yards to go downfield. But his secondary move is to move inside once he's got the the DB turned around, and before he even makes that move, you just see that he's going to be able to make that move and and get away from the defender. Kiffin is calling touchdown before either of those two things happen. The ball's still in the quarterback's hands, and Amari hasn't even uh, made the cut. And there's a little bit of, damn, that's dynamic. When our offensive coordinator is that plugged into how to beat the opponent, that's exciting. And I like having that in – I like to have that arrow sort of in our game plan. I I just wonder if was that too much of our game plan 
could and look, I'm not mad at Amari running up 200 and you know some odd yards, 13 catches because he's a powerful weapon. But the intermediate throws, you know, we had three interceptions, and 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 I'll and I'll, I'll say this, and almost defensive Kiffin, you know, Saban said, look, let's attack them down the field. We can beat them down the field. And what's funny is, I think we could have beat them down the field, and we could have beat them running the ball. So it was, do the, inter- both. It was the intermediate stuff that really I think was catching us. And then of course we had three pretty ugly picks. I would have liked to have seen, you know, let's run the ball eight more times. The in- the the down the field stuff would have still been there. No, it would have been there. And also, I would like to have seen us get under center more. Had we got under center more and run the ball more, then it would have set up our play-action pass. That would have helped our intermediate game. And so, you know, there was a, there was a guy on AL.com that, that actually counted the number of times that Blake Sims took a snap under center. Right. So out of 61 plays, we only had five times he got under center. And of those five times, two of those times were the long touchdown passes to Amari Cooper, which I found that that's what he pointed out in his article. And so I found that very interesting that, that when we set up that action, our two long touchdowns to Amari came off of, you know, two out of five times under center, we scored big plays. Oh, now see, see, here's where we can just get, we can nerd out on this a little bit, right? Because... What have, I, knew you, what, I knew you would love that one. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> what what has sort of been the storyline all season uh, around Blake Sims? Let's put him in the shotgun and and give him less time to sort of think and more time to just to just act. And so maybe we we run a little quicker count. We line him up in the shotgun and we just have him fire the ball. And so what do we do when we want to take a strike down the field? We put him under center where he where he has to do a five or seven step drop. And so he doesn't have time to think because he's got to concentrate on his drop and then he can throw the ball. Rather than let me take that from a shotgun and then just have to stand here and just 1001, 1002, yes. 1003, because he's likely to get a little too antsy in that situation. So that's yes. That's that's pretty neat. You know, that's a pretty neat uh, sort of approach. We're going to we're going and we'll have to watch for that. Right. We're going to throw the ball down the field on this play. We're going to need some time for that route to develop. So let's let's sort of give Blake something to do kind of air quotes on that. And right. what we give him to do is a five or seven step drop. My point there was I would have loved to have seen more under center, more play action, right? More play action, go into the tight end, you know, go into the backs, those kind of things. I just, I agree with everything you just said. I just don't think we do enough under center. Well, and that's where, that's where, and I say this genuinely, I mean, I mean this. I wish Blake were coming back next year. I wish he were going to be our starting quarterback next year because that's where you could give him a bigger slice of a play calling menu. You could give him more responsibility. And part of that responsibility could be lining up uh, under center. It's not, you know, there's a lot of, you know, it sort of permeates high school and, and college these days. And the NFL laments that the quarterbacks come in and they don't know how to line up under center. They don't know how to scan the defensive backfield while they're taking a drop. And so you think about it in those terms. 
well, then that must mean that must equate to it's easier to play the quarterback position when you're already lined up in the shotgun surveying the field. And so it's and these are these are just dots connecting. Right. And so if that's sort of the easier way, the shortcut to being able to play the quarterback position, then that's sort of what Blake needed this this season. And so if you could project out, man, if he were going to be back next year, another year sort of is the is the signed on starter, the confidence that that would give. Yeah. Now we can sort of get him under center a little bit more. But, uh, you know, I, we're not going to have that opportunity because he's, he's a senior. But, uh, uh, I, you know, we haven't played him a lot under center anyway. So I can't say that I'm surprised that we didn't see a lot of it against Auburn. I just think it's interesting that we did see it strategically when we were going to take the ball down the field because uh, that gives a look at the line of scrimmage that we're going to run. And so that yes. kind of gives a miss, miss sort of perception there. And then it kind of gives the quarterback something to do while he's dropping dropping back, and really only has one you know one place to look uh, with the ball because we're going to give Cooper a double move. All he's got to do is beat his his man, and that double move was zone. But you know, still, you know, all he's got to do is is beat his man, and he's going to be wide open. So I think that's pretty interesting. I will say this though: as as bad as Sims looked on those three interceptions. And it's hard to say, you know, ignore the three interceptions. I, I want to be, you know, sensitive to that because they were pretty bad. But the rest of the day, you know, he was 20 of 27, including, you know, of, of the seven misses, three of them were, were the picks. You know, he had four touchdowns. He had a, four touchdowns in the air. He had one that he that he threw. He threw for over 300 yards. And after his third pick, he was 10 of 12 with three touchdowns. I mean, he was he lit it up after his third pick. There's something about the extra pressure when he when he feels pressure. It seems that he performs his best. Oh, I think the pressure was seeing Jacobs, uh, Jacob Cooper yeah, warming yeah. up on the sideline. I've thrown three picks. I I have zero margin for error, and he was almost. Tommy, he was ten of twelve. He was almost perfect after the third pick. Well, this is why. Uh, Nick Saban is a coach and I'm not because I would have absolutely pulled him with how bad those three picks were. And I would, I mean, it, it's almost interesting how quickly we pulled the rope on the cornerback position, which we can talk about when we flip the field, but we didn't at this position. And I'm not saying we should have, cause it obviously worked out. Had you, had you taken him out there and brought Coker in, in a very tough situation, and had Coker not succeeded, well, now you've ruined Blake Sims' confidence, and yeah. you've lost the game. You lose the now game. You, you you lose the game. I don't I don't see I don't see this season Coker being you know ready to step in and and sort of bail the team out in that situation. I think you well, had. To- I, well, I think I think it's. I mean, who knows? I mean, we we never know. I mean, the the. I mean, we. I I I'm not comfortable saying that he wouldn't have won the game. But he wouldn't have won the happen. game. And and I'll I'll differentiate anything, it from anything can happen there. Well, yeah, okay. Anything can happen. He wouldn't have won the game. And I'll differentiate it from the cornerbacks because I think it I think it boils down as simple as this. Auburn does not want run a lot of fancy run routes. They run a lot of non-routes, nine routes. They run a lot of deep. And so guess what? Eddie Jackson can't keep up with the receiver. He's, you know, with his knee or whatever, he just can't run that fast. And so he gets beat. And so we put in Tony Brown because he's faster, but he gets, 
you know, oh, they're just going to abuse him on on the comeback routes. So we've got to go to Sylvie, one of the fastest players on the team, and we say, well, let's just see what it, what we what we can do. We can always rotate them back in. But when you've got a, a corner that simply cannot run as fast as the wide receiver, then you can bring in another corner that can run as fast as the wide receiver. The quarterback was a little bit different. Oh, so we're struggling on these intermediate. We know what he's capable of doing. Let's just not run that intermediate route anymore. Lane, after three times, did you hear that? Let's not run that intermediate stuff, you know, because that's where we're having the most trouble. But we can throw over them and we can run through them. Well, I, I will say, as I said a second ago, that who knows what Coker would have Coker would have done because they couldn't stop the run, and so he could have run the play action very effectively, and he might have had success. The game was still in hand at that point. The game wasn't out of hand. It wasn't like a 20-point margin or sure, something like sure, that. Sure, sure, But But I will say that— We would have had to have run the ball. I mean, maybe we, that's we, how we both get the, the running ball. That yeah, we're yeah. But, but here's what I'll say, though, is, sure. that, is that if in that example, right, now what if you lose the game, which is probably more than a 50% chance you sure. do lose the game, you go to Atlanta and Blake Sims is screwed up confidence-wise. And so now, you know, you're kind of in a huge pickle. And so I agree with your intermediate comment. I think that those shorter, but see, here's the other thing too. They ask him to throw passes that they haven't asked him to throw all year. How many times have we been fussing about that all his passes are at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage? Dude, he threw that same intermediate distance in West Virginia game in the Georgia Dome and got picked, right? To your point, to your point, it's almost like they've abandoned the intermediate route for the whole middle of the season. So I wonder why he even tried the crap to begin with. Yeah, I you know that's a, that's a good point. You know, I think they were they were trying to trying to get, you know, they tried to get to Amari and and when you're running the the intermediate and they're running you know sort of some zone coverage, uh, even man to man, but in in you know you kind of keeping that. Uh, if you're not going to go deep, then you're still sort of a bunched up a lot of DBs. And so one of the picks was, you know, Amari had actually beaten his guy, but the screen that would have been open or the sideline out that would have been open, that, you know, and I think that was DeAndrew, uh, his man actually drifted off DeAndrew. And so even though Amari beat his guy, the guy that was on DeAndrew drifted off and sort of got into the passing lane for uh, for Amari, and he picked off the ball. And, you know, you you get and So I guess what I'm trying to say is you get in more of a confined space where there's just more people available to be in the pass lane. And if you can run through that, because I, Auburn's defense isn't that good, but in a phone booth, you know, where everyone's sort of clouded, crowded and, and together. And, you know, look, we've seen, you know, Blake throw the deep ball. Uh, and he can do just that. Just fit the ball but, in the tight spiral in the yeah, tight window. But in that he a struggles in a with. very yep. tight win, window, just throwing that laser beam rope in a in a in a you know fifteen yard out sort of uh, situation. He doesn't have that arm, and that's you know not all quarterbacks do, not many quarterbacks do, and so he doesn't. And so in that situation, you know that that just seemed just that seemed to kind of work against us. But uh, what what else on offense? Uh, you know, kind of take me to something else on offense that you saw. Uh, good or bad that uh, that you want to talk to? Well, I will just say very quickly that um, I did not realize until uh, I, I looked at some stuff after the game that that Auburn has typically put their senior one of their senior corners, uh, Jonathan Mincy, on an island 
by himself most of the season. That that that's like their mo, right? He's like their shutdown corner, and he's the one that Cooper beat on that seventy-five yard pass. And so I find it interesting that they just kind of stuck with their moxie and said, you know, dude, you're our guy. We we put you on one side of the field to shut it down. We don't care that it's Amari Cooper. Give it a shot. And that allowed us to have the kind of success we did on that 75-yard pass. Yep. I just found that interesting that they took that approach because they weren't able to get a pass rush. And so I really am surprised that Auburn did not blitz more. If, um, you know, while we're talking about offense, I just want to kind of relate this to the defense. If I'm Auburn and I've got a left tackle that's banged up, I got a right tackle for Alabama that's banged up, and they're kind of both kind of hobbling, buddy, I'm doing some corner blitzes sure. out of the slot, some safety blitzes, some linebackers around the edge. I'm putting two guys on those outside edges and I'm going after Blake Sims. And Auburn didn't really blitz the whole day. And so for for Blake Sims to drop back and, and and attempt as many passes as he did, I was surprised that they did not blitz him more. No, I agree. Now, now he he we attempted twenty seven passes, and so it you know like you said sixty one plays. That's not a lot of offensive plays. Yeah, I agree. They should have loaded up on uh, on some blitzes, which is certainly something that that Auburn has done to us before. I mean, they have worn us out with blitzes in the past. And uh, especially when Cam went out, that's just so. And you know, and you could argue that they should have picked on him, you know, just to kind of test him when he was out there. But certainly when he went out, and we moved uh, Austin Shepard over, yeah, we should have gone. Or, you know, they could have gone after one or both of uh, the tackles in uh, in that situation. I guess my quick point there is: is it fed into Lane's game plan of passing more than we expected him to pass? Yes, because they just said. We think we can get to you with our front four, and they were not able to. Right, right. Hey, I, I want to quickly point out a play early in the game after they they had a turnover at the beginning of the game. Sure. The the very first offensive play by by TJ Yeldon, Airy was double teaming Ryan with Ryan Kelly on the nose, and he bled off to to try to go get the linebacker. Well, TJ Yeldon had already gone to the right of Ryan Kelly, and because that's where he saw a hole. Mm-hmm. Dude stopped in his tracks right past the line of scrimmage, and now the linebacker's coming over into his face, and he's able to just horizontally cut behind Airy, right, allowing Airy to get a better block and bounce outside. And O.J. Howard, unfortunately, is out there blocking, and we talked about his blocking prowess. And so I really – we missed Brian Vogler in this game, and we still rushed for seven yards of carry – and so TJ would have scored on the first play of scrimmage had we had a different block on the on the edge out there. But, dude, this guy is a special back, okay? I, I, I just – I know you've said this numerous times, but we don't have another back on our roster like this guy. The, the ability to make cuts like he does so effortless, given all the ankle problems that this kid's had nursing all season, dude, we don't have – TJ Yeldon and Amari Cooper, we do not win this ball game. Hands down. We have another tail. If Derrick Henry's our starting tailback, no offense to Derrick Henry because he had a great run, but if he had 20 carries, he ain't rushing for 130 yards against this defense, in my opinion, right now at this stage of his career. No, I agree with you. And, and that's funny. I was going to go to Yeldon too. And 
And uh, and so, you know, the fact that you went to him, I, th- I think is appropriate. You know, he's a dynamic back. He is a special back. And, you know, I, we said this in the preseason guide and we've said this in the preseason shows and we've said this throughout the season. He is the he is the best unheralded player, I think, in the country. You know, he just doesn't get the, the, the praise and the accolades that that he should. He is phenomenal with the level of injury that he's had. And it's almost like literally he, literally he's a player that we do put on the shelf to keep him, you know, rested and he doesn't have to, or he doesn't, you know, practice. He can't, he doesn't need to prove himself. He can't practice a lot and we preserve him, but then we, you know, take him off the shelf, dust him off, wind him up. And he has a fantastic day. And that's exactly what he did against Auburn, you know, 127 yards, two touchdowns. And here's what's interesting. This stat to me, I had to look at it twice to make sure is this right, but we rushed the ball as a team 34 times, Averaged 6.7 yards. TJ averaged 6.7 yards. And it's it's literally the same average, you know, his carries and and then you take, you know, across across the whole team. To me, that just looks like, you know, so runs TJ, so runs the tide, which is kind of the different side, you know, sort of the same thing you were saying, just, sure. just spun a little differently. And it just it, it it was just so amazing the like you said the vision the lateral movement some of the things that he brings you know continue just to to amaze and wow me and uh, I've enjoyed you know he's going to go pro after this year I'm certain of it you know it's just going to be you know he's going to be a guy that we're going to tip our hat to and he'll be one of those guys that we miss you know and and we always talk about that uh, with guys but yeah T.J. Yeldon has certainly been a favorite. Uh, and I look forward to him getting a, a couple more games in this season, hopefully fully healthy. No, absolutely. Talk about real quick the rotation at running back while we're on running back, just Tyron Jones coming in in the second series. I was surprised at at the distribution because I expected to run more. So out of our 34 carries, TJ has 19 of them. Uh, Jostin Fowler got three. Derrick Henry got five. Blake Sims got five. So Tyron Jones comes in the game, doesn't even get a carry, uh, but he does. There was talk, talk real quick about why you think he comes in in the second series of the game before Derrick Henry and finishes the game with no carries. I think I think it's as simple as we're not going to do a we're not going to do a run heavy game plan, and with only sixty one you know plays and and only thirty four rushes that. Uh, you know, we didn't need to. We didn't need to use him in the running game. Now, if we're going to run the ball fifty times, then he probably sh- he probably should get eight to ten carries. But we didn't need him to run the ball. What I think happened, and it's as dumb, stupid as this. I think I think somebody wasn't paying attention, and whether or not we went to rotate the players, and uh, somebody's getting their chin strap adjusted, or uh, you know, a snap replaced, or something on on their helmet. That we just said, you know, Tyron, get out there, and, and we did something like that. I think it's a, I don't think it was a strategic sort of thing. I just think it was just, you know, a dumb sort of accident of, ah, crap, we're rotating, and I'm tying my shoe, or I'm getting my helmet uh, adjusted with, uh, with one of the managers or, or something. I think it was something dumb like that. Well, I just wanted to get your take on that. I will say real quick while we're on the running backs, when they scored that first touchdown. Uh, on that third and three. I just want to touch on the toss sweep. I thought it was great action uh, that we had. Uh, we took O.J. Howard at the left. We 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 motioned him in, and we allowed him, allowed him to crack down 
on you know the defensive end, which is an easier block. And and we then pulled the left guard and the left tackle. Um, I would have liked to have seen that tall sweep five or ten times in the game. Um, it might be the only time I think we ran it. And um, a great play call that I would have liked to have seen more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, do one of two things. Give us your mini game ball on offense, or if there's something else on offense you want to cover uh, separate from that, uh, walk us through it. You know, my mini game ball, I, I want to give it to to Aerie, you know, at left guard. Um, sure. he, he's not a headliner guy, but he's also, you know, he's a starter on this team. And and we've talked many times about what this guy has has meant to this program. And he's a guy that we thought was going to lose his starting job. He's a guy that is not in a black jersey at practice during the week. He is, you know, out there each and every practice. And, and we see this guy hobble off at the end of the games and can hardly walk. But there's, you know, this guy is not a glaring weakness by any means. And this guy, you know, is not the most agile guy. But this guy is actually, I think, had a pretty good season. And this, you know, which has contributed to this overall line doing far better than we would have ever expected with the newcomers. And um, so I want to give it to Ari in the true mini game ball fashion. You know, I think that's phenomenal. I think each of the last two seasons we've been expecting him to to be replaced and questioned again two years in a row whether or not he would maintain the starting job throughout the throughout the season. I didn't think he would make it. You know, I kind of now last year he started better and then sort of. I think his health sort of deteriorated as the season went on. And by the end of the season, you know, last year's Auburn game is, is a prime example. He, he just was worn out and was not playing. And, and, and you could argue that if we did have more depth last year, that he would not have been playing, uh, you know, throughout the, throughout the whole season. And so that was sort of the image that I had kind of coming into this season. And I expected him to lose his job in fall camp. And uh, not only did he not lose his job in fall camp, but, uh, you know, he has, you know, he has been the starter every week and has performed very, very well. He's still not the most nimble guy, but uh, he, I've not seen a drop off. And in, in fact, I've seen an improvement in his performance as this season has gone on, which has sort of been opposite of what we saw last year. So, yeah, that's, a, you know, and we could talk about him more. But, yeah, I, I am very pleased with his, his play this year. And uh, he's a kid that. And, you know, and we're old enough to be able to say that, right? He's a kid that I'm just proud of him and the way that he has battled back from his injury. And he's not a, a headliner superstar like, you know, like his brother was. He's not going to be a first round draft pick, all of those kinds of things. But this is a guy that just grits it out can, and, and, and plays hard and plays well. And uh, he's a guy that you just have to be proud of. No, absolutely. Who gets your uh, mini game ball? <laughs> Well, I'm going to stick to the offensive line as well, and uh, I'm going to go Austin Shepard. And what I really want to what I really want to call out with with Austin is is really two different things. When Cam Cam Robinson went down, you know he shifted Austin shifted from the right tackle to the left tackle, and I just want to put a pin in, on that and think about this for a minute when we talk about the depth across our offensive line. Tommy, we've had four players play with the starters at left tackle alone. We've had Cam, we've had Shep, we've had Dominic Jackson, and we have Leon, we've had Leon Brown play with the first unit. I'm not talking about backups. I'm playing with the first unit, have all played at left tackle at uh, various points this season. That by itself is just impressive. But uh, Austin Shepard came in 
And when he took over for Cam Robinson, that very easily could have been a point where now we're going to sort of crumble on on offense. We're gonna we're gonna miss this because now we've got to move over our right tackle to left tackle and bring in someone off the bench to play right tackle. That we're hey. we're seeing some impact at two positions. And what we did see with those changes, we saw Austin Shepard on the field for roughly twenty plays. We put up 157 yards and scored 14 points. And I'm not, I'm not saying all that was due to Austin, I, but I do say that is representative of we did not have a drop-off when he shifted over. And to me, that's pretty darn impressive. And so, you know, if you wanted to split the game ball between Austin and Grant Hill, you certainly could do that. Uh, I, was, I was impressed that our line didn't drop off with, uh, with that move. Oh, absolutely, man. Remember Antoine Caldwell when we brought him to center? Yes, because, you know, we lost our starting center and we brought him over and then the floodgates just kind of opened. Right. It just screwed up the the guard position that he had left. Yep. And so it, it, there's been several times that this offensive line, you know, ha, has crumbled in years past. I mean, I remember an Auburn game where Anthony Steen comes in the ball game. Right. And a young Anthony Steen gets beat at the point of attack and Greg McElroy fumbles at the 10 yard line. And so uh, that that has definitely you got to let Anthony off the hook on that one, though, man. I will, but I, it's just it just points out what you were saying, right? I know. I, I, I want to quickly mention a couple other things very quickly before we flip the field. Sure. I just want to say that besides the toss sweep, I would have loved to seen the screen action more. We did the screen to Cooper. We didn't do the screen to to uh, the running backs. Obviously, T.J. Yeldon is the best at that, but I would have loved to have seen some 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 more screen passes called. And then I just want to point out that big fourth and three. I know it's been talked about in the in the press and you know online and stuff, but you know I I just have to comment on it as well. You know Auburn had gone up by nine points. We're at a fourth and three. Blake Sims is sitting there watching Jacob Coker warm up on the sideline, and we call a design play to DeAndre White in the flats. We didn't call it to any. We didn't call it to Cooper. We called it to White. Yep. And White made the play. And, and, dude, the way they were scoring, had we not gotten that first down, they probably would have scored again, and they would have been up by 16 points. And so I know everybody saw the game, but just wanted to point out DeAndre White because he's made a few third-down catches for us in the past few weeks since he's come back from being banged up, and uh, he's still limited in practice this week. But that was a hell of a big play. Yeah, he he's he's a hell of a player, and if you're gonna do one more, then I'm gonna do one more too, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give a nod to this is where you and I could talk football all day, but uh, you know I give a little bit of nod to Justin Fowler too. You know he had three carries, which when was the last time he had three carries? But he had three carries, and he caught a pass, pass for 15. One of his carries went for eight. You know he was representative of, you know we can run the ball against Auburn. And uh, we could have run the ball for a lot more yards against Auburn. And Jowson's certainly one of the guys that could have benefited from that. But uh, the fact that he's out there and he's always out there giving it uh, – I mean, the kid's got a lot of heart. I've always been a big Fowler fan. So, yeah, why don't we flip the field and uh, we can keep talking football, but at least uh, we'll progress down the road a little bit. No, absolutely, man. Let's start with that first play call for for Auburn. You know, we'll talk about that weird weird kickoff in, you know, in a minute. But – on that first play from scrimmage, you know, that's about where our seats are, uh, very close to that line of scrimmage. So at first, it, it, it kind of looked like it was a forward pass from, from my viewpoint. So I did have to come back and, and, and watch it on TV and, 
and and the you know the camera angles you know was was better than what I was able to see at the stadium and you know I think they made the right call there I mean he he definitely you know Nick Marshall had his foot on the 39 yard line when he threw the ball the receiver caught the ball at the 37 and so I found it interesting that he was just going to let the ball go like incomplete and only after we jumped on the ball did he act like, oh, man, what was I doing? Yep. So that was a huge play that gave us, you know, a very much needed seven points in this in this shootout. So just, just wanted your take on that because when we were watching the game together at the stadium, you know, I don't know what, you know, your thoughts were there. But at first I actually thought it was a, a, a bad call that went our way. Well, I was a little disgusted by us attempting the onside's kick. And so – I felt that that was a little bit sort of a market correction that, you know, we should not have done that. And so we got lucky that they kind of give the ball back to us. You know, you, it looked like maybe the route was on, but, you know, it was premature, I guess, to think that. But it was close, and I didn't have the chance to go back and look at it like you did. It, w- it was close, but, uh, you know, it demonstrated that our players, you know, from the go were paying attention and uh, to, to make that recovery – you know, certainly was was what we needed to do there. I'm I'm glad that I, I wish we hadn't have given them the short field there at all. But uh, I'm glad that they did not have a chance because uh, at that point we didn't know they were going to move the ball like they did. And of course, first play we take it away from them, and so you know that really stacks up well for our defense. But uh, the way they moved the ball on us all day, I'm glad we didn't start seven down. No, absolutely. Talk to me a little bit real quick about Eddie Jackson, because I know that, you know, we've been a fan of his. Do you really think it was more speed or do you think it was just that those two guys are just way more physical and was more physical than than he could handle? Well, and it could be a little bit of both, right? You know, you don't know. He's got that knee injury. And so you don't know when is he going to come back? And, and kind of be fully healthy. I don't know that he's a burner at corner anyways. And, you know, the two primary receivers that, that Auburn have, uh, I, you know, they're NFL quality wide receivers. And, you know, they're going to need to learn the route tree, I think, when they get to the NFL. But in terms of just their speed and their physicality and their size, sort of the combo package that, that they offer, you know, they, they've got it. You know, they've got all the tools and all the weapons. And so, you know, not only can they get physical, and a lot of times if you think it's physical, it's big, slower receivers that are physical, and it's the smaller, fast guys that, you know. And so if you kind of know what you've got, but when you have when you have uh, a wide receiver that can do both, then, you know, that maybe puts a DB, you know, back on his heels a little bit, literally and figuratively, because uh, I can be physical to and – I can be, uh, if I come up to press, uh, and I can be beat uh, speed uh, if if they get around me. And so I don't really know how I want to try to defend this guy play after play after play after play. You know, maybe that contributed to, in Eddie's, you know, relative lack of experience. You know, I, I hate almost to say that, you know, at the end of his sophomore season. But, uh, you know, you could factor that. He's missed a lot of practice time due to injury too, right? And so you could factor that in, you know, Tony Brown, you could put out there and you say, well, he's got the speed, but he doesn't have the experience uh, to go against this caliber of receiver. And so we went to Sylvie and man, you know, talk about a surprise uh, putting him back in. But, you know, it's kind of a testament to, 
keep going to work every day, keep chopping wood, and you don't know when you know the opportunity is gonna is gonna represent itself. And so clearly, you know, a, more of an upperclassman with his his breakaway speed, that uh, maybe that was the right sort of combo. And you know, the defense seemed to settle down a little bit when uh, when he was in there. But you and I both, right? We had to pick our bottom lips up off the dirty stadium floors when, when you know, our buddy Eric held up the fingers three, and we're like, "Wait a minute, who's out there?" I mean, come on, man. I mean, we hadn't seen him since the Georgia Dome, West Virginia. Weren't you surprised that that he came into the game? Yeah, you know, there was another game that we saw him come in, and and he he promptly got beat. You know, it almost kind of reminded me of. And I hate to call people out necessarily, but it kind of reminded me of John Fulton last year uh, when he came into the game. You know, just always seemed to, you know, forecast that there was going to be some some balls coming in his way. And you know, Sylvie stood up to the stood up to the the pressure and and played you know very very well. I can't help but think, or or my first you know thought was, who what, and then. Literally, I don't remember anyone being taken out for injury. That was the first sort of conscious thought that I had was, I don't remember Jackson or Brown because I remember Jackson going out and I remember Brown coming in. I was like, okay, we're going to kind of mix that up. But my first sort of conscious thought was, I don't remember any of those guys being carted off the field. Right. And, and, and so that speaks to what I was expecting with Sylvie out there. But, but yeah, I mean, he certainly rose, rose to the occasion, occasion and played very, very well out there. No, uh, he did. Before, before we jump off Sylvie, you know, I found a link where a, an official uh, had, you know, a, a yes. current official yep. Uh, yep. had, had pointed to the rule book. And I don't remember the, you know, the version code slash, you know, dot, yeah. dot, dot. Yeah. But, you and I both saw the replay, and we saw Sylvie's foot come down inbounds first, and, and we felt like it was our ball. And uh, it does sound like in reviewing uh, stuff that they missed a call there. No, they really did. And, you know, there's two rules that are not intended to sort of contradict one another. Just one is intended to be applied in a very unique and special situation. So you do have the you know simultaneous possession, and so if if you know the if two receivers are running down the field and sort of catch it together, then you know shared possession that's going to go to the offense. But there's sort of an exception case, which is when the 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 shared catch happens in the air, and they're both in the air. And when they're both in the air, the letter of the law is whoever's foot comes down first, and assuming the first foot down is inbounds, whoever comes down first possesses the ball. And so to your point, did they both, you know, have kind of possession of the ball? Okay, sure. And so under under that interpretation, then you could say, well, yeah, Auburn, Auburn ball. But when you layer in the nuance that says, when it's when it's a simultaneous, I can't even say that word. When the catch is a, a share catch and they're both in the air, then it's whoever foots comes down first, assuming that that foot is in bounds. And clearly, that was Sylvie. But uh, how did clearly. they miss that? Right on the on the on the replays we see on the jumbotron, we can clearly see. I understand in the moment, but on the replay, on the replay, they watch eight times. How do they miss that? Yeah, that's they know the rule book. Well, well, you apparently not though, right? 
because the, all of the evidence was right there. There was enough evidence to overturn. And so that that becomes a did they know that flavor of nuance of that rule? And I'm left shaking my head no, because otherwise all the evidence is right there in front of you. If you know that that's the, the, the letter of the rule, then it's an easy change of call to make. It's very easy to make when you look at it through that lens. I mean, you'd have to be a mighty big homer not to make that call if you know that that's the letter of the rule, because it's pretty blatant obvious. Sure. I'm just surprised it was missed. Hey, um, uh, talk a little bit about, I want to talk a little bit about the inside linebackers for a second and, and Ragland sure, and DePriest. Sure. And I, I just want to quickly mention that, you know, Auburn's got that funky motion where they, they take their little scat back, you know, they, they motion them across the, you know, the quarterback's face pre-snap so that they can hand it to him a couple times a game. Sure. And every time they did it, Reggie Ragland, it was his guy for whatever reason. So Reggie Ragland would be the guy to go out in space because I guess he's the more nimble guy of the two linebackers. And so it would leave Trey DePriest on the inside, and I think it created some mismatches on their running game. Sure. And so they didn't have a ton of success, but they did have some success in between the tackles, and I think it was just merely due to that screwed-up formation that they run. Well, sure. Let's get one of the and, – and we do things similar to that. I mean, we'll line up a tight end uh, out wide or we'll you know, you know, run a, a running back or even a fullback. You know, Fowler out is, is the wide receiver, and all we're trying to do is lighten up the box. And so they're doing a very similar concept. They're just doing it from motion. And so, you know, who's going to slide out and say, oh, you're going to slide out one of your middle linebackers, one of your big, beefy – uh, attack the box downhill middle linebackers out of the box, well, then you're asking us to run up the middle against you. And, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, it's a good design if that's what you're trying to, you know, if we would have flanked out, if we would have been a dime, right, and 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 just sort of flanked out one of uh, a, a, a cornerback or a, a safety even, then they wouldn't have run up the middle because, you know, I guess in a dime we wouldn't have the two big linebackers in there. But you kind of get what I'm saying, yeah. right? If if we had if we had defended that differently than taking a linebacker out of the box, then they wouldn't have run. They would have they would have passed. And so when we take a linebacker out of the box, it just invites them to run. No, absolutely. Hey, a couple more quick things. Are you surprised? I understand Geno Smith is getting the run in the game in the base nickel right now. But I was really surprised on a couple big plays that we gave up or decent-sized plays, that Jarek Williams wasn't in the game. Instead, you know, Jabril Washington was in the game. And he seemed to be the guy whose number was called in the dime. Yeah. Well, he's our, as short, opposed he's our to starting Jarek. dime. He's our dime but, back, right? I mean. Yeah, but, but I mean, wouldn't you rather see Jarek with his experience bring him? I mean, I remember last year saying, that I'd rather Gino cover the slot guy than Jarek. Yep. Okay? Just to be a straight shooter, I thought it was a better matchup for us. And so with Jarek's experience and what he has done when he has been healthy, why in the world is he not the starting dime back, as they call it, instead of Washington? No offense to Washington, but why not Jarek Williams? Well, and I think in that situation, that I hear what you're saying. I'm going to change the question, and then I'm not going to answer it. But I would, I would change the question. 
you wouldn't. I don't think you would want Jarek to be uh, to be the dime. I think you would want him to come in at the nickel or the star, and you would want Gino to then go to the money or the dime. I think you'd want sure, to do that, but that shift. But that put, but that which, puts Jarek which doesn't in the change. Slot. It doesn't yeah. change the spirit of your question. I just think sort of the how to would be a little different. I and the closest thing I have to an answer. I kind of kid when I say I'm not going to answer it. The closest thing I have to an answer is, you know, they're all practicing a slice of the defensive backfield. And so are Jarek and Gino learning the the star? Yes, absolutely. Are they getting reps at the at the money? Probably not a lot. Probably not a lot. I would venture that, you know, Nick Perry has played uh the money and so he could step over there. But then you've got, you know, who's backfilling his his position. In, in sort of the the standard you know free safety, you know could Gino do that? I I don't know. There's there's a there's puzzle pieces that would fit together to accomplish you know directionally what you're wanting, but it's not as I don't think it's as straightforward as don't put that guy in, put this guy in. I don't think it's plug and play quite that way because I think the puzzle pieces would fit a little differently. And then what that sort of begs is well when you do that. Is that do you diminish a a player at a position worse than what Jabril could do at the at the money? Does that make sense? Yeah. So is the net yeah net net you're better off yes. going yes. the other way. And I have to. I mean, you know, the coaches aren't idiots, and so I mean, we've seen coaches that we think are. I don't think ours are, and so I'm inclined to think. Well, then that must be the best sort of overall net because you're getting the combination, not just talent on the field, but capable talent at the position and responsibilities that we're asking them to execute, which a lot of times is sort of the forgotten part of just roll out a bunch of talent. No, absolutely. Hey, a couple more things real quick. I said to you at the game that I would have liked to have seen Rashawn Evans and Tim Williams in the game more on obvious third and long situations because of the speed of Nick Marshall and because of what they bring off the edge. No offense to DJ Petway, no offense to these other guys. Obviously Denzel Duvall did not was not able to go. Mm-hmm. But these guys have a different gear than a Xavier Dixon and a DJ Petway. They do. They do. And I I just would have liked to have seen them out there together more, which we saw at the very end of the game, but I would like to have seen it some more early on. Yeah, I, you know, I think that, and and we talked about that a little bit during the game, and I, I can't even remember, you know, what I thought. I thought it was a good answer. I just can't remember what it was. But I, I think that I think it has to do, you know, I think I guess it has to do with what are, and it's almost the same answer as when we were talking about the defensive backs. But what is it that they are trained and schooled? How big of a slice of the pie? Have they been given? Have they been just given only the Sikkim role? Or do they have read the run first, then, you know, then advance to the quarterback, right? And so my wonder is if they if their concentration has only been on pass rush. And so we need the Xavier, we need the Petway who can play the run first before they go after the quarterback. And so, again, it's subtle, but if we got guys in there that can't play the run first or aren't as skilled at playing the run first, 
then do you lose something as that part of the defense? And, and um, you know, I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just saying that's the best I've got in terms of a, a concept of an idea. All right. What else jumped out at you on uh, the defensive side of the ball? You know, it was critical that we held them to, to five field goals uh, or, you know, all of those, you know, they, they, they had five field goals. And so, you know, that's 15 points. All of those, the longest of those kicks was 33 yards. So they were all shorter than that. And several were like 20. Yeah. Yeah. They had two on, they had, look, no, look at this. They had two from the 20. They had two from the, tw- you know, that were, now not from the 20 yard line, a 20 yard kick. So they had two kicks that were 20 yards. They had two kicks that were 24. And then they had one kick that was, that was, you know, 30, 33, 34 yards. And so, What's significant there is, you know, it's a 10-yard end zone and you line up and kick the ball from seven yards behind the line of scrimmage. So whatever the distance of the kick is, the ball is placed on a yard line that is 17 yards short of that. And so, Tommy, when they had two kicks that were 20-yard field goals, that's the ball on the three-yard line. Yeah. and is That's an extra point. Yes. Right at an extra point. It, it's right at an extra point, but it's on the three-yard line. And when you take a team that you could say is as dynamic as Auburn is and we're able to stop them on the three that twice, that's yep. pretty impressive. Two more times we stopped them on the seven, and then the other we stopped them on the 17. All four clearly in the red zone, four of the five inside the 10. So – Man, you want to talk about bend but don't break. They walked out of there on those possessions with 15 points when they very easily could have had as many as 35. And, you know, that's twice the margin of the game right there. So, you know, that point differential is right at twice the the margin of the game. So uh, our defense, you know, to me that's something that stands – for all the just the horrible, ugly stats, 630 yards allowed, most ever, 28 first downs, 90 plays run, 456 yards in the air – 43 pass attempts. Ah, yuck. That just makes me want to vomit. But when I look at three times or four times inside the 10, we held on the field goals. Well, at least that's something. I'm walking around with my hat trying to find something to hang it on. I can hang it on that. No, absolutely. What else jumped out at you on the uh, defensive side of the ball? I'm just glad that game's over. Well, I'm, I'm going um, to uh, give me your mini game ball. I uh, I'm going uh, Bradley Sylvie on my mini game ball. Probably not a surprise after the conversation that, that we've had, but I'll throw this out. I went and I went and sort of did some sleuthing on Sylvie, similar to what I did with Austin. He came in with 11 minutes left in the third quarter, and so and then plus all the fourth. So he essentially played virtually all of the the second half. Auburn scored 11 points after, and so of their of their 44 points. Uh, I'm, yeah, of their 44 points, they scored 11 points, only 11 points after Bradley came in, and eight, eight of those 11 were scored with 20 seconds left in the game, where they, you know, scored their touchdown and got the uh, the two point conversion because you know that's who Auburn is. That's that's sort of their character. We only they only scored three points when it mattered, when sort of the consequence of the game was still in jeopardy. They only scored three points when Sylvie was on the field. And that's like, to me, a tremendously large mini game ball. And and, and plus, this is a guy that, you know, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, 
he could not cover a dead body with a blanket. And he comes into this game and holds them to, th- and, and I'm not just saying it's just him, but I mean, he was not the leaky wheel in the defense. And in fact, all of the defense tightened up and only allowed three points of consequence after he came into the game. That's pretty damn impressive. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. Well, man, my, uh, are you, are you sitting down? <laughs> my, nope. my mini, my mini bang go, uh, game ball is going to go to Nick Perry. Okay. You know, I, I, you know, I, I, I came across a stat that said that he had had eight tackles in each of his last four games. And obviously we know the play he made in the LSU game. Uh, he had, you know, another big pick, which, which probably was a momentum changing play when we really needed it because, you know, they had scored on their last four possessions, whether, you know, field goals or what have you, they had still put points on the board. You know, not only does he make that pick, but, you know, he flips the field with it. Just, you know, got to hand it to the guy. He he has stepped up his game in the past four weeks probably more than anybody else from a consistency standpoint. And just, you know, I've been rough on the guy in, in years past. I really sure, have, sure. And, and deservedly so, okay? But this guy's finishing his career the way you want to finish your career. And so uh, kudos to him. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And uh, I think that's a good pick. I didn't know where you were going to go. I, you know, I was looking at my notes. Cyrus, uh, they only went after him three times and, and only completed one. And, and so I didn't know if you were going to go to him because, uh, you know, he played pretty well. But, uh, yeah, Nick Perry racked up a lot of tackles, which speaks to, you know, you really don't want a defensive back racking up a lot of tackles because that means, you know, they're moving the ball. But, uh, but they did move the ball, and uh, I thought he played very, very well. And uh, yeah, hats off to uh, hats off to Nick Perry because he he is playing more and more comfortable. We used that term uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was very very appropriate. Uh, Nick Perry's playing comfortable, and uh, I'm glad. There's no blown assignments. Right, he's not confused. He he seems to be putting people in the right places and and kind of running the back end, which I think is allowing, quite frankly, Landon Collins to roam free a little more. Sure. We I think Landon Collins no, is no. playing a whole a whole different game. There's there's a direct correlation with how Landon Collins has played in the past few weeks by the way Nick Perry's played. That is a great point. That is a fantastic point. And that's something that we can't that's worth a minute, right? Because we're seeing and how many times have we talked about? And if people have listened and they they're gonna, you know, they've heard us say this, right? Man, we like when Landon Collins can play in the box as sort of as a walk-up linebacker. And in sort of the versatility that that gives us, but we've been unable to play him in that position because he's, you know, because we've needed him to sort of play the free safety, and with Nick Perry able to execute that role, then that does allow us to uh, maximize what we get out of out of Landon Collins, and that is such a sort of an underrated deal, and we've talked about it a couple times on the show because I just think it's I think it's very important, and it, and it sort of layers into some of these discussions. Why is that guy on the field? Because you're looking for your best net of talent and capability, and you may put a superior – it's like, you know, it. I can't remember the guy's name. I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, but, uh, you know, you'd rather set your floor – and, and sort of manage your, your ceiling rather than put just an incredible amount of talented guys out there that don't always know their responsibility and play to their responsibility because you'll get gashed a lot more in that situation. And so 
Yeah, and and so what we're seeing with Nick Perry is phenomenal play from him that's allowing us to get the best out of uh, uh, out of Landon. So yeah, that's exciting times. Well, hey, uh, let, let's talk about the uh, special teams, man. Uh, let's talk about Adam Griffith. It was a quick cameo for him, and 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 I didn't get to go back and watch the entire game, but I had to go back and watch that play because I was like, okay, did his back freeze up? What was the deal? Well. You know, I I read some articles where people were like, you know, we just don't know. And the only thing I could find, okay, because fortunately it happened at the beginning, so it was easy to go and find, is the guys on the left side of the formation, they literally stopped. when the They didn't even run all the way to the line of scrimmage. They didn't even run through to the line of scrimmage when he got to the ball. They they let up. And so – it wasn't a fluke. It was a called play. Sure, sure. Because they were not even running. You know, they only made it five yards of the 10 yards. And so the guy's got a bad back. The guy's is, is you know, didn't even play last week uh, against the Catamounts. Why do you put him in and practice this play on a bad back and then it looks so horrible? I don't know why, you know, take away the bad back and take away – I don't you know, the practice and he could have executed, executed it flawless. And, and one of the things that, that Saban says, and sometimes it's hard to, sometimes it's hard as a fan to sort of fully, uh, you know, take the, take the, the stance that he, he espouses, but you know, it's easy to evaluate things in hindsight. Right. And so sometimes that's hard to do. And so it's easy to say we shouldn't have done the onside kick because it didn't work, but it's, it's I'm going to use the analogy because we try to keep it, you know, we try to be honest. And so we have seen us run wide receiver into rounds with Julio Jones for a touchdown. And we've said that's a bad play, even though it results in a touchdown. And so I would think as exciting as maybe it would be to have an onside kick recovered in that situation, I would still say it's a bad call. Uh, and I, I say that, you know, we didn't get it if we had gotten it. I would tell you, hey, I'm glad we got it, but it was a bad call. To me, it just reeks of desperation in a game that uh, – and, and so now we're going to do this flashy thing, and uh, that's going to give us an opportunity to kind of steal a possession from Auburn, which which sounds like we have to do this to win, and then we don't get it. I just, I just don't like the tone and the tempo that that sets. I think Auburn kind of bailed us out. Uh, as, as we were picking Buckshot out of our foot. No, absolutely. Well, hey, one other play that I want to ask you about is um, I guess the Auburn kicker thought that it looked so cool that he would try it as well. And so he makes a, a half, you know, what attempt, and, and he tries to drop the ball at the 20, mm-hmm. and it's obviously going out of bounds, and, and – you know, Xavier Dixon and DeAndre White both sit there and, you know, should have been like getting way the heck away from the ball. Why didn't those guys let that ball go out of bounds? I mean, come on, man. You were yelling to the whole fans in the stadium that, you know, they'd give it to us, you know, on the 35 there. I mean, we just got to call it like we see it, right? I mean, you got to know where you're on the field, right? I had to give White kudos on offense but right there let the ball go out of bounds at the 20 i just think those the upbacks and and i'll and and this will apply more to xavier because he's a he's a linebacker defensive lineman defensive end whereas d'andrew is 
sort of a part-time returner. And so it'll apply less to him, this logic will. But there's a little bit of, there's a layer of up back that never touches the ball because, you know, no one kicks it to him, right? And so when they have an opportunity, and it's not that they're just so excited, oh, I'm going to get the ball. They just don't know what the heck to do. I never get the ball. You know, it's, it's like, I didn't know this would entail math. <laughs> you know, if I'm an up back, I did not know this would entail me touching the ball, <laughs> right? And so... I would not have tried out hard for this position. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I did not want to touch the ball. I didn't realize that this is, is, this is what this would be. And so there's a little bit of... And I'm not saying that's still the right answer. I'm just, there's a little bit of maybe they just didn't know what to do. And we've had that conversation about our coaching staff again, so we don't have to have that. But um, I'll give it a little bit of that. But, yeah, let the stinking ball go out of bounds because we'll possess it at the 35. You know, Christian Jones brought it out of the end zone, got tackled on the 20. They'll give it to you for free on the 25. And, uh, yeah, it may have been a little bit of brown water, but I was uh, – I, I was pretty vocal in sharing those thoughts at different points in the game. Well, I will say it's almost like they're they're teaching these kickers now with this crazy rule of of stretching it to the twenty five. They're teaching the kickers almost to try to kick it to the one yard line. Sure, sure. So the guys have to you know play the ball. Right. Um, what else jumped out at you on 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 special teams? Obviously, J.K. had to come out there and 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 proceeded to kick every kickoff from then on out. What what'd you think about the backup kicker, you know, getting the the extra point blocked? Boy, that that was frustrating. Yeah, that's frustrating. You know, I I have not gone back and looked at that. I don't know if that was a bad kick, if that was a bad block or a bad, you know, blocking up front, a, a bad snap. I'd I've not I didn't do my homework on that. Uh no, no, no. I haven't had a chance to look at it either. But are you surprised the walk on was in the game instead of Scott on that extra point? No, not really, because and again, I think and 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 I only wonder this because we've not had a chance to see it. But I wonder if we're doing a short kick, long kick situation, a short kick or long kicker situation. And uh, I wonder if we're not, you know, let's let's allow J.K. to kick off because he can't be hit on a kickoff, and uh, let's allow him to punt because that's who he is. That's what he does. Uh, and we will situationally, if we have a a, a long critical kick situation. We'll let him try to kick a field goal, but we're not just going to continue to run him out there every time the ball needs to touch someone's foot because we want to preserve him for really what his talent is. And we've got this other guy that's a very capable walk-on, you know, you know, for almost generations, Tommy, our kickers have been walk-ons. And so, you know, that's, uh, so I don't feel so bad that, uh, you know, that this kid's a walk-on because that's kind of how, that's kind of the way it's always been. So, and, and plus I think that, you know, let's get another leg out there, some experience, and see what we've got because we may need, you know, we may have a critical 28-yard field goal to win a game. Who's the best kicker we've got, uh, you know, capable of doing that, especially with Griffith, uh, you know, suspect with uh, with his back. And so I don't mind us giving another guy an opportunity to, uh, to lace it up a little bit. No, absolutely. Well, hey, real quick before we, uh, before we flip this game to the – or flip the page – you know, uh, I thought you'd talk about J.K. J.K. Scott on that first punt of the day, seventy yards. So yeah. I'm I'm just going to throw it out there real quick. I mean, you know, we should have had a first down. We're at the thirty yard line. He was really kicking it from his twenty, but he doesn't get credit. So by darn, it was really an eighty yard punt. But the stats only give him seventy. 
And just wow. I mean, come yeah. on, man. 70-yard punt, really? I mean, that was just a thing of beauty. It's just pretty stinking amazing is is what it is. And you think about, you know, him being a, a, a true freshman. You know, I like what, uh, you know, the question was – was brought up in an, uh, a press conference with uh, Saban. It was a week or so ago, and you know, I asked, uh, you know, asked about uh, J.K. And, and what we're doing with him. And, and I thought Saban was pretty candid. Is like we're just not trying to we're trying to not mess him up. I mean, he has come in, you know, capable of, you know, he has come in with this talent, and he we're has leaving him alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has a regiment. He has achieved the success that he has without our help. And so, you know, if he's going to be disciplined to maintain his regiment, then we're good with that. And so I think that's that's kind of and I don't like that. That's the right way to, to to do it, you know, because it is a, it is a very standalone singular talent that he has. You know, he's not a linebacker that, oh, you're such a good linebacker. Just go do whatever it is that you do to be such a good linebacker, because, you know, you can't be a good linebacker on an island. You have to be integrated into the defense. But a punter, you can be a good punter on an island. And so you go to your be good punter island every day at practice. You know, we'll let you do some group stuff, you know, every once in a while. But you go do what you do, and we will not mess that up. No, absolutely. Well, hey, what do you think? Uh, kind of, uh, I'm kind of glad the matchup is Missouri versus Georgia. I think you and I talked about this. Well, what do you think the what do you think this game's going to look like in Atlanta? Yeah, I think that, and I want to be very careful because I do not mean this disrespectful to uh, to Missouri. I think the pressure that that this Alabama team has faced, you know, going back to LSU and you know this sort of gauntlet, and and you can take out Western Carolina, and I understand why, but we played that game as if not to get hurt, and we got a lot of guys hurt, and so a game that should have just been a, a breather was tense for its own reasons. And so LSU was tense for the reason that it was tense, very obvious. Uh, Mississippi State was tense for the reason that it was tense, very obvious. Western Carolina was much more tense than it should have been for the injury reasons. And then, and of course, there's Auburn, and it's tense for the, the way that it's ten, tense. And so we've had all of this pressure heaped upon, heaped upon, heaped upon pressure about just getting to Atlanta. Now I think there's a certain amount of relief not saying that there's not pressure. The pressure is just going to feel differently. Now we're going to Atlanta. Now we just have to perform. Now we don't have to win four games today. Now we just have to win one game. And we win this game, we can exhale, and we won't play in the playoffs until, you know, the the until the new year. And so I just think the pressure, it's still there. It's just a different kind of pressure. And I'm not calling Missouri a cakewalk or anything. They're capable of beating us. I, I want to be very careful about that. I just think the type of pressure that this team is going to feel is going to be different. It's going to be a freeing pressure because now we get to go do that thing that we were – this prior pressure was a fear of not getting to do this thing. Now we just get to go do this thing, and we're super excited about doing this thing, which is you know the SEC championship game. I think – uh, blow them out. I don't know, but I think it's thirty-four to seventeen, or or you know, thirty-four to to twenty-one, or something like that. I think, and 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 I don't know that the game is as you know. I, if look, thirty-four to to twenty-one, the game's not that close. That's that's kind of the that's kind of what I predict. You know, they'll make some plays and we'll be frustrated by them. 
they may score one late and we'll be frustrated by that because it's a closer margin when they what the game really was. The game won't be as close as the score because I think our team is just going to go out there and relaxed, uh, be relaxed, you know, kind of let the horses run kind of deal. I think we look really good Saturday. That's what I think. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I I really think that it it is it has helped this Alabama football team that they were not in the top four of the new playoff system until recently. Yep. Because I, I, I think it allowed them to stay focused and stay hungry. As everybody knows, we've only played this team once in as an SEC opponent back in two thousand twelve. Yep. You know, that was a game at their house. Uh, that was a game that we won 42 to 10, but, you know, we had monsoon rains to have to deal with and we still had that kind of score. Yep. You know, they do come into the game with the top two pass rushers in the SEC. Sure. You know, what a great time to have some tackles banged up with knee injuries and shoulders. Yep. <clears throat> so that worries me a little bit. If we had more of a stand-up quarterback, probably like a Jacob Coker. Well, I guess Jacob Coker is mobile too. If we had your non-mobile quarterback, that would worry me more. That doesn't worry me as much with Blake Sims. I, I actually kind of see this game kind of going the way that that bowl game did with Michigan State. And and this kind of feeds into what you, what you said there is I see this as a game where they say, okay, now we can just let our, you know, let it loose and just let it fly. And these guys know that they're about to get a, a little time off and and just blow it out. And so I, I actually think that, you know, Missouri's gonna be pumped up. They're gonna be ticked off that they, you know, were embarrassed last year in their first appearance, and they're gonna be motivated. And so I think this game is gonna be close early, but just the same way that we put it on Michigan State in the Capital One Bowl that year, I I see this as you know, I, I really see something in the neighborhood of a of a 42 to 14, 42, 17. Um, I, I think we kind of put them away in the second half. Okay. Okay. You know, I wouldn't be surprised that that is something that certainly would not surprise me. So, uh, so we'll certainly have to, uh, see how that, uh, how that plays out. Anything, uh, anything we missed, anything else, uh, you want to put out there? You know, I, I know this has been a long show, so I appreciate everybody listening. We just enjoy what we do. I just wish I could know, the only other thing I did go look at at the game was everybody talked about Saban chewing out Lane Kiffin. So I had to go back and find it. And, you know, I wish I was good at reading lips because after Amari scored his first touchdown for us to go up 14-3, Saban laid in to Kiffin and Reuben Foster's behind him, behind the two of them. Like, I can't believe he's doing this. And he laid into him for like a solid minute. And Lane Kiffin held his hands up like, you know What? And I just wish I could read lips because we were up 14-3 and he was chewing his ass out and pounding his two hands together. And I just wish I, you know, the, the, uh, Brent Musburger is saying that he's saying pound the ball, pound the ball, pound the ball. Well, we had run the ball a lot at early in the game. I just wish I knew what he, what he was uh, laying into him about. No, that's, uh, you know, that's a good point. And that's, uh, have to see, uh, if, if something about that comes out, I have not noticed, but, uh, yeah, that, uh, you know, this is definitely a game. You know, I've got so many of the games this season still on tape. I want to go back and look at, and this one, this is uh, definitely one I want to queue up and spend some time with. Well, man, I, I've enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to uh, coming back to our home away from home. Absolutely. Hey, I just want to do this real quick. You know, I was on the road last week, and so I couldn't do our uh, iTunes iTunes reviews, and so we've got two. I want to make sure that we get them uh, out there. 
Uh, we've got two brand new five-star reviews, and so we thank uh, you guys for those. Uh, we got one from a, a Caleb Lambert. Uh, you guys do a phenomenal job of bringing professional insight to a casual fan and make the game much more fun uh, to watch. I pick up on nuances that I never did uh, see before listening to the podcast, so that is fantastic. He offers us a little bit of constructive criticism, which I appreciate that. He says that you guys, and I laugh when I read this because I know it's so true, uh, he says that you guys call DeAndrew White, you will sometimes call him uh, DeAndre White, and you're right, we absolutely will uh, mispronounce names from time to time, we've got to do better at that. And then he calls me out a little bit, and I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he says that I fill a lot of sentences with, you know, and uh, I agree, I'm not a polished uh, broadcaster, and so I do have some some foibles that way. But he says there's so much minor uh, details. He says these are such minor details, though, because your work uh, is done very well and your efforts are much pre- uh, pr- appreciated. Uh, thank you all for uh, what you do. And so we do appreciate that, Caleb. And uh, we'll try to, uh, you know, we want to get better. And so we appreciate uh, the feedback. And then we've got uh, another. This is Wes2489. Uh, very informative and uh, relatable. I literally wait every week to listen to these guys talk about uh, Bama. They know what they're talking about, and they state the details an average fan might not notice. Roll Tide. So we appreciate that. Yeah, we absolutely appreciate uh, the the feedback here and the responses and the reviews and the five stars. Just I would encourage if you're listening to us, uh, go drop us a review because it's very encouraging. It's motivating for us. And it certainly helps us in the uh, iTunes rating. So we appreciate that. With that, let's go uh, head into Atlanta and uh, beat us another band of Tigers and uh, gear up for sort of the final four, if you will, of college uh, football. With that, another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast brought to you by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.